This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Live from an underground bunker deep inside the Fortress Novembrino. It's Shake Them Ropes, <laughs> and my name is Chris Novembrino, <laughs> and I'm joined as always down here in the strategic bunker of doom by Jeff Hawkins. Hello, and welcome to my bunker, Jeff Hawkins. Oh no, I'm I'm, I'm you know martial law has been declared in in Los Angeles. Um, by the way, and I believe it's in California, not just Los Angeles. You can walk into a store. Steal up to $1,000 worth of merchandise and just be cited. It's no longer a felony. So we are we are in harsh times around here. Uh, we'll get to that. And Chris is, Chris is what I like, what I called on the Patreon episode. Chris is doing a youth outreach program. Uh, <laughs> I'm giving um, back to the community. Giving, oh, literally. Um, but attention must be paid. And, and there's a serious note to start with, with this week's Shake Them Ropes. Uh, Harley Race. Passed away today, uh, long-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, NWA Champion, when being a heavyweight champion in a territory, was rare and special and meant you had to drive business. Um, admittedly, I came in a little late into Harley Race's career when I first started. I My first memories of him were doing the Starcade 84 match lead up when he had the bounty on Ric Flair and was sending Dick Slater and Bob Orton to get him. You know, Someone take my damn money. Uh, that those promos, um, Harley race, hard living real man, really one of the last of that generation of the burly, you know, guys who, you know, were carnies and were tough guys and didn't want people in this business and were skeptical towards people who wanted to be in it, who you were afraid of. If you if you got into a bar and you said wrestling was fake, would kick your butt and knock your teeth down your throat. Um, Chris's memories are probably more geared toward his managerial run with Vader, which we've gone over on a couple of our live watches on our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash shake. But I'm definitely aware of him in the ring. I I always think about that Starcade match because that's where Flair wins on the crossbody. And for the rest of his career, I didn't realize this until much later on. He does callbacks to that all the time. That's the whole run and go mm-hmm. off the top ropes, and normally it ends with like a gorilla press slam, but that's a callback to that spot. Yeah, Harley is the guy when you'd bring people in that you thought were going to be a big deal. I mean, I remember when they introduced Barry Windham right before he jumped to the WWF to team with Rotunda for the uh, U.S. Express. They put him over hard as getting – he got a role, He got a schoolboy – or no, you got a sunset flip win over Harley Race, and that was a big deal. It's he beat the champ, you know. It, 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 he's and he always would come back, and he'd have so much credibility on the NWA shows. Like he'd have these short runs, and nothing would really come of them. But he was always kind of a looming presence in the Flair early title reign in that in the mid '80s. And then, I mean, my other memories are my more cogent memories are when he jumped to the WWF to Vince McMahon's WWF and he had bleached the perm hair 
and he was the king Harley Race. And Vince made him a cartoon character to clown him because of the high opinion he had of himself. And it's funny because his legacy lasted so long because they made the king a de facto title with the king of the ring, which started after the wrestling classic, uh, which I believe was a USA special, but it also went to video or it was just a straight to video special. But I remember watching and, and Harley race always looked 50 at that time. He was two years younger than I am now when, when he was doing that stuff in the WWF. I mean, so he was road owned and lived a lot of his life in pain. I mean, when you saw the mid-90s stuff where he could barely move and could barely take a bump, you could just see, you know, a lifetime of taking, you know, body slams on mats that were like concrete. Yeah, because he's like 50 uh, that's what and they he's were back moving like he's around 70. A 90-year-old. Yes. No, yeah. it's a great pairing for Vader. I love him as Vader's puppet master. And as much as I liked Cornette with Vader, and I thought Cornette was really good with Vader, um, different dynamic. I think Harley Race with Vader was really great, particularly when Vader was feuding with Ric Flair, because it was like Harley was once again projecting himself into this Ric Flair feud through Vader. Like one last grab at the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 he was the stage dad. He was living vicariously through Vader. That and and some of those vignettes, like the the pre, on that one. God, it's so famous now. But basically, Ric Flair threatened to retire if he didn't win, and then and then Vader's coming in, but Harley's like in the uh, warm up jacket, helping him warm up and all that other stuff. I mean, it's such a cool dynamic, and it was you know, it's kind of like what they're doing a little bit with the Tully Blanchard Cody Rhodes thing in AEW now. And if you haven't seen that video this week. That's pretty awesome stuff, too. But, yes, I, I am not well-versed enough to talk in depth about Harley Race's career. That will be left to somebody like a Bruce Mitchell of the PW Torch or Dave Meltzer when he gets around to writing the autobiography or the, the obituary in next week's Observer. But um, still, and it, I mean, it's just to have to recognize that this is an important figure in the history of, of wrestling and a very important one. And, and one that we don't really, you know, the heroes, the greatness and how big they loomed kind of fade over time. Once you get new champions and once business paradigms change now to the WWE point where titles owning don't so matter. much of history yes. is one of the reasons why Harley is not bigger in that narrative versus Ric Flair. Right. If, if he had come back for Night of Legends, they would have made him dress up in the crown and the right. cape. Right. And it's also why like, a guy like Nick Vin- Bogdickle doesn't fit nicely yeah. into the actual wrestling history um, versus WWE's version of wrestling history. Well, that's what drove me nuts is Vince McMahon, you know, in his Rest in Peace tweet, basically retweeted a picture of Harley in this stupid King getup. Because that's, that's how that's I used the Vince him. McMahon... That's how I used him exactly versus how his dad used him. And, and it just it pissed me off because I got that same visceral reaction as whenever Vince honors Dusty, we have to hear that American Dream song and see him dancing around as the fat guy in polka dots versus, you know, the thing that really made him a household name. So I, I kind of had a bit of an overreaction to that, admittedly, but um, no, attention must be paid. Go out and watch as much Harley Race as you can. 
this weekend in honor of him. Um, but uh, rest in peace, Harley Race. So to to now tra- transfer to the banter portion, um, we were scheduled to do a Patreon episode this weekend. I did it solo, a watch along of I believe October nineteenth, nineteen eighty five, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Uh, Chris had to uh, bow out. Chris, would you like to tell that story? Yeah. So last Monday, I was outside with my friend Eric and. He smokes cigarettes, and I was out there chatting with him and having the occasional puff on a cigarette. And I know it's bad. Don't smoke, kids. And this guy comes up. It's 100 degrees-ish these days in Texas. It's very hot right now. We're in the middle of July. This guy comes up with a hoodie on. And I remember thinking to myself, huh, it sure is strange that that fellow is walking around with a hoodie on when it's 100 degrees out. It's got to be scorching underneath that hoodie. And he asked for a cigarette from Eric. I didn't really think about it any more than that. You know, time went on. I just started a new job. I have a lot of other things that I'm thinking about right now. And I wasn't necessarily thinking about why someone would wear a hoodie when it's 100 degrees out. It makes more sense now in hindsight. So on Thursday, the person who was staying at my house was loading up. He was getting ready to go to a gig. And all of a sudden, there was a fellow outside. And he struck a conversation with him. was like, so you guys are musicians in there. Um, now, I didn't find this out until later on the next day. That night, my friend um, Eric stayed a little bit after I went to bed. And like he does this occasionally. He's over like, I don't know, once a week, maybe, you know, every so often. He'll leave after I go to bed. And on those nights, he just slides out and then I lock, you know, lock up in the morning or whatever. It hasn't really ever been a problem. However, it was a problem this week because I was getting scoped out. And that night, when he slid out after I had went to bed... Someone slid in, and they took the television and the Xbox. Now, this is kind of unsettling. I come down. It's like 6.45 in the morning. I see the door is ajar. My cats are okay. That's terrifying. And honestly, the thing that I have been struggling the most with since the robbery is the fact that stuff happened that made my cats unsafe, and I would really have a very hard time... um, recentering myself if something had happened to my cats because of all of this. So I, I, I count that as a very fortunate event. Also the fact that they were really stupid because though they had taken the television, the Xbox, they didn't take the wallet and they didn't take the headphones. And that was kind of curious. And I was trying to figure out what had happened. I was able to kind of backtrack this. So my best version of events is they came in, they knew they wanted to take the television, and they knew they wanted to take the Xbox. Now, they wanted to just yoink out the Xbox. The problem is I had the Xbox etherneted in to the router, and the way I duck my cables is underneath all of these amplifiers that weigh like, oh, that ethernet was under about 200 pounds of cable. So when you just try to yoink up on the ethernet cable, it doesn't just yoink up. It starts to like knock over pretty much every heavy, heavy amplifier in the house all at once. Um, I think that happened and that freaked them the heck out. And they decided that they needed to cut and run. So they cut and ran. They forgot about the wallet, which is really fortunate. I was able to hang on all my identification and everything like that. And they split from the house. Later on, on Friday, I get a call. Because I, of course, am, like, you know, distressed. I file a police report, go to work, try to just, like, move past this. I cancel all my PayPal accounts. I discover later on that my Xbox is online. 
and that people are playing NBA 2K19, which is a game I didn't own. I was confused as to how that could happen because I had canceled my PayPal. I was fine. It turns out that he used one of my other friend's PayPals, so that sucked. We were able to get him a refund, so he's cool on that front. But... Then I was able to start backtracking this person because this person had decided <laughs> on my Xbox account that I'm on my my actual Dr. Nove Xbox account that he wasn't going to like change it or anything. He was just going to change the name to his handle, Capalot Mucci. And I was like, hmm, Capalot Mucci. That's interesting. And I got on Facebook and I was able to find someone in Dallas named Capalot Mucci who didn't look dissimilar from that fellow in the hoodie the other day, and in fact had a hoodie on. And then he had his Instagram and his Snapchat on there, and on his Snapchat, uh, let me read you his bio here, Jeff. Um, His Snapchat bio says, hashtag the definition of real. I won't kiss, sorry kids, you ass for none. I'ma take what I want, house emoji, money sign, nah, for real though. So... I'm feeling like I'm on a pretty good track here. And then I find his Twitter. And I find his name. Then I find his backup Facebook. And then on his regular Facebook, we start going through the videos. And we actually find videos of him installing on my Xbox the stolen stuff. I have the receipts (laughs) right from the account. Inside of the video, there are guns. There are drugs. There are people dancing around with money in front of the TV. Well, actually, not in front of the TV. It's after the TV scene, but it's part of the TV video that they shot. Um, There's them playing NBA 2K19 on my handle, playing as the Lakers, no less. The friggin' Lakers, as Dr. Nov. This is an abomination. This begs an important question. If you got that much money, why don't you just buy a TV and an Xbox? Right? I'm uh, so so. Here's the funny part. I went on Craigslist that day, my friend. Yeah, because I, I you saw the video the, or the picture of them fanning out all this money. An Xbox is $120. You could just not have a stolen Xbox, Mr. Williams, um, and not have all of this on video and have it fed to the Dallas Police Department. Um, also, the next thing I was able to find is that one of his friends definitely stays in the apartment complex, and I notified the apartment people. So these guys are going to get caught eventually, but Dallas police are not necessarily the fastest or trying the hardest on, yeah. Yeah, Here, here's what happens in big city police departments, for those of you who don't uh, get it. Was anybody hurt? Is anybody shot? Well, it's a property crime. Follow a report, and we'll try and get to it. And maybe if it's sold, we'll be able to track it. Although, you have video, and you can basically say, why not go over there and arrest yeah. them? I, it's like, I, I this, just, is, this is the frustrating part for me. Like, it, it's it's not... if The stuff being stolen, like... I mean, dude, it's a TV and an Xbox. Like, as, as we said, like, if they have that much money, you can go and buy a TV and an Xbox. But, like, the combined total amount of stolen stuff is under 500 bucks i it's the feeling that you've been violated and nobody cares that's always the thing with me like every time i had my car broken into out here i'm just like look well and we know who these people are they have guns yeah exactly you know who they they, are they like i mean are i mean literally advertising that they break the law on a regular basis and like that is the lifestyle that they're trying to lead so like this isn't this isn't go on a big hunt. It's like, could you please come over, take this PDF file from me that I have put together here, and like take these videos from me? 
and go and get one bad dude off of the street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't even care about the stuff. I just want the guy off the street. I, the guy, he's clearly dangerous. I, it, I mean, if you're putting this up on, if you're putting, I'm going to take what I want for real. Uh, I mean, this isn't the Chris, I would, I would never say for you to make an anonymous nine one one call about a person with a gun that has a gun, but <laughs> I, I was thinking I still have the remote control. Um, and if the TV is somewhere in the complex, as I as I have a hunch it might be, it would be fun to drive around and just kind of flick the power button and see what happens in some in some windows. Yeah, uh, um, but probably not. <laughs> Once you find the apartment, though, well, you, then you I call mean, the cops. Always... No, but that, that's the, yes. the that was the kind of the adjacent part to your plan there. Yeah, it had occurred to me that yeah. there is a way to actually track down this television. My poor Phillips, it deserves oh. so much better. Yeah. Uh, so on to the wrestling. <laughs> we we will hope that you get your stuff back, and especially that this menace is taken off the streets. I just want him off the streets. I just don't want him to come back. I don't care about the stuff. With the roster split being rumored to come back in October, we had some interesting. Um, two weeks outside of SummerSlam, we're starting to get story all of a sudden. On Raw, big story, Brock Lesnar has come out and just destroyed Seth Rollins with numerous F5s, F5s on chairs, F5s on concrete, to the point where he's bleeding. So, you know, that gory crap um, that the other guys are doing, even though it's fake and it's a capsule. But what we've really done here, Chris, is we've reset the story to pre-WrestleMania, where the guy who can't beat Brock Lesnar without kicking him in the nuts and hitting him with a chair now is getting destroyed ad nauseum. I, I don't understand this. It, it, it feels like a weird redo and a story you should be telling with somebody else. Did you get to see any of this or no? I didn't. I'm trying to think if I actually watched anything okay. from Raw this week. I don't I don't know <laughs> that I, I, I it's it's become I've become so detached from Raw and SmackDown. Well, it was the least interesting of the two shows. I mean, they, they did, you know, certain storyline progression that, that I'll get to, but it, it's really, it focused on that and it focused on Becky and Natty, but I'll get to that when I talk oh, a little bit about Oh, the Becky and Natty stuff next. was kind of weird. Yeah, I, that, that is just It's time to get into that. Now. Look, both female babyface champions are jerks. And that's the story that they're telling. Natty hasn't done anything untoward other than get a title shot. And she's become a jerk. And Natty and, and Becky has become a sociopath because during a training session with Fit Finley, Becky comes out, kicks Fit Finley in the balls. Fit Finley, who gave her the go ahead to go into the regular Royal Rumble. And then puts the disarmor on Natty, who then comes out later after Alexa Bliss and and uh, and and Nikki Cross um, ha- have beat her down and put her puts her in a sharpshooter. It, it's 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 a ridiculous story where there are no friends, and it's even worse on the SmackDown side because Becky Lynch or not Becky Lynch, but Bailey after after the story we told a couple weeks ago where she helps. Ember Moon in a tag match against uh, uh against uh, Fire and Desire. 
Then she gives her a title shot. Ember Moon repays her with a Eclipse. They have a tag team match again to set up as, you know, the uneasy tag partners. Once again, facing Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Alexa and Nikki pin Ember Moon. Which is ridiculous in its own right, but it's it, it, the reason is even more ridiculous. I'll get to that in a second. And then Bailey, after the match, belly to bellies, Ember Moon, and says, that's what you had coming. And you're just like, these people are jerks. And you kind of offset that with the video of Bailey coming out after a match and hugging a child she had forgotten to greet. And you're like, look how much money they left on the table just by having a straight ahead good person. And you're just frustrated by it. But here's the other thing. Alexa and Nikki won because all the people from Raw, there were three groups on Raw on SmackDown, and two of them had lost. So Nikki so Nikki and Alexa had to win the match to make Raw strong. And it's just ridiculous. Everything with the women on this roster is an absolute mess. The tag team titles are kind of on the wayside while they figure out how to make a three-way between Fire and Desire, the Sky Pirates, or the Kabuki Warriors, I'm sorry, and and the Iconics, but it's mostly for the dot-com. And then we also had the other story in the women's division. Trish Stratus is coming out of retirement to face Charlotte at SummerSlam, a ridiculously scripted promo where Trish Stratus hesitated because she's a mom, and Charlotte made excuses, well, everybody has a mother. Meanwhile, you have a story where the 24-7 champion is a pregnant mother. Why not just say that a mother can be a champion in WWE as opposed to this contrived, a lot of it taken from the Gail Kim, Tessa Blanchard story in TNA. Our, our friend Garrett Kidney had been watching going, man, even some of the verbiage is the absolute same here. This division is a mess, Chris, and I'm sad because it should be so much better. I think that's just been the holding pattern that this brand has been in for a long time. I, I You say these things, and it jogs my memory a little bit, but I can't, I can't think of the last time I've made it through Raw, and I think I've tried to watch it the last three weeks. Now, SmackDown was being rewritten during the first hour, a sign of great continuity. But there was none uh, of the gory crap, good right? Thing, uh, oh, oh, we had a sophisticated storyline to end SmackDown, though, Chris, and I will get to okay. that. Okay, I actually didn't catch any of SmackDown. I know that. Yeah. Okay. They had a very interesting Randy Orton video, um, though, and we had addressed this earlier, but you recall... Uh, during that first failed push of Kofi Kingston, the uh, the Randy Orton temper tantrum moment, when when Kofi blew the finish mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Randy yelled "stupid, yes, stupid," yeah. they have now they have now in, they have now incorporated that into this story. They were showing video of that and Randy Orton calling, and he goes, "Yeah, you know, Kofi is stupid, but but it wasn't for the reasons of blowing the move or anything. It was about his." personality and his go along to get along nature and the new day stuff. I got to say, I kind of liked it. And I think Randy Orton is the guy to get Kofi over as a better champ, but man, you only have one week left and Kofi's still doing pancakes and new day stuff as opposed to being, you know, a champion standing up for right and wrong. But it's an, but it was an interesting choice by SmackDown to do that. And it's all behind the scenes. It's all Orton talking to a, 
to a faceless, nameless interviewer while he sat down in a dark room and it just shows all these clips, you know, that mean one thing, but are really saying another, et cetera. But it, but it all works in now storyline. So, so now in canon, it wasn't Orton losing his crap over the match. It was losing his crap because Kofi, Kofi's too nice of a guy or whatever. So it, it's kind of an interesting choice. It's interesting. I just don't think Randy Orton's going to get this match out of Kofi Kingston that's going to take him to the next level. And I think if you were going to tell the story, you'd really have to have had Randy Orton slowly tormenting Kofi Kingston with RKOs out of nowhere at pivotal mm-hmm. points in this entire title reign for months. I, I think so too. I, I I just think they they just go month to month and kind of play it by ear and okay we'll put these guys together and then we'll go on with this and they try and figure out. It just doesn't later, feel that's, like that's they're Vince's really committed way. to Kofi as an individual yeah. champion. He is the new day as the world champion. Yes, no, you're exactly right. It's it's we don't want to build the Kofi character because everybody likes this character. You know, it, it, it kind of ties into the Harley racing a bit. You know, this is this is the Kofi they know. They don't want the different Kofi. But um, finally, to end the main roster shows, we had a bit of a quote unquote murder mystery to end the show. Chris Roman Reigns walking the back to come to a interview with Kayla Braxton some unusual camera cuts in there to show him walking as opposed to being on set as it's usually very well rehearsed and stuff. And all of a sudden the rigging falls on Roman, but it doesn't because it misses Roman. It just falls on top, but he is unhurt and just a little stunned. And Oh my God, who did it? It's probably buddy Murphy, but (laughs) it, it was one of those things where it was like, as a critic, as some and somebody who wants them to try different things, you give them the credit for trying, but it was so poorly executed, it comes off as well, stupid. Well, if you don't actually hurt Roman Whereas, Reigns, there's no stakes. Yes, exactly. That's something, if somebody's trying to kill Roman Reigns, and that's how you're introducing it as a mystery, this guy better have been somebody attached at the hip with Roman with a long-standing grudge. And and coming out of the woodwork for it. you don't introduce a new character trying to kill a guy unless he has. I mean, this is a blood feud type of action. This is an introduction kind of action. I mean, and especially a guy that you're trying to uh, put over as tough like Buddy Murphy. I mean, it, 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 if if that's the way it's they're going to go, Loomis. but it was just it, it it came off as unrehearsed and on the fly and oh we're gonna we're gonna do it live and see what happens. And you thought it fell on him, and they're acting like it fell on him, and then it's like it turns out, nope, just gets up and goes, no, nah, I'm fine, I'm leaving. And you're like, huh? But yes, it was it was an attempt at a sophisticated storyline, Chris. Well, this is going to be even more intriguing than the time <laughs> that Enzo was attacked. Oh, yeah. God. it reminds you a lot of that, but that one at least that was actually kind of intriguing. It was intriguing, but the fact is they just rushed yes. it, you know, yeah. two weeks, and we all of a sudden knew it was knew it was Cass. I mean, this one, though, it, there won't, probably won't be an intrigue to it either. It'll probably be, you know, although, you know, I think they're gonna tr- they may try and do it like uh, like the NXT Who Jumped Alistair Black storyline, where you had a bunch of different moving pieces in the back, and they have video of it the next week. And it's like, oh, here's Bruce Pritchard. Here's... You know, here's, uh, you know, uh, Chad Gable at catering. He might have done, you know, that kind of thing. So I think they may make an attempt at that. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. But they don't have long until SummerSlam. 
So I think even this no. is going to be done pretty quickly. Well, I don't think it's going to be for SummerSlam. I think it's going to be. I think it's probably going to be the payoff is going to be. This is going to be Roman's feud after SummerSlam. Oh, uh, okay, okay, interesting. So where would you like to start on the network shows this week? Because I think both of them kind of hit about a fifty-fifty with me, or all three of yeah. them. Yeah, I want to talk about NXT UK first. Okay, yeah, I think that's right. So this episode begins. With Gallus versus Pretty Deadly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. We need to talk about Pretty Deadly. It's <laughs> it's your basic pretty boy tag team. Number one, they come out second. So you so they're the baby faces in here after introducing Gallus, who's Wolfgang and Mark Coffee. Uh, and Mark Coffey, I love Wolfgang pointing out one guy who was screaming at him and wanting to go after him the entire time. I thought that was kind of cool to watch that as a buildup, but pretty deadly come out here, and they're just too cool for the room. They have their hands in their pockets. They're wearing kind of They're doing hip- the Orange Cassidy gimmick. They're doing Orange... They're both Orange Cassidy's. They're heels. That's the thing that came out to me is I want to watch these two douchebags get beat up by Gallus. I don't have any sympathy for them. These are the two guys. I want to watch The Hunt build a feud with these two. I think you've watched The Hunt have a squash match against these two. I agree. But, you know, I want barbed wire. You, you want a rematch, and this time bleed. you want them bleeding. I want to see okay. them bleed. No, I, I got want to that. see them scream in pain. I want the hunt to bite their faces off. That's <laughs> I want 1978 Tupelo, Mississippi type of a match or something to that effect. I I, I want to see these two pretty boys bleed if they're going to be heels. Um, so it was hard to root for him, and then they get a hot tag, and they don't do anything with it either. And it's just like. It's an interesting choice because there was a lot of bad guy on or worst guy on bad guy crime on this show, you know, especially when you look at the uh, Irish Ace match. And it, it was just one of those things that it came off weird to me. How did it come off to you? I don't know what they want Pretty Deadly to be. And I, I think, yeah, oh, I think, geeks. I mean, they, they're, geeks, they're geeks, but I don't know if they want them as faces or heels on a regular basis. But I think yeah. that they're probably just going to be there to be heels until they break off one of them but i i mean there was no there was no slapping of hands there was no, no. clapping there was no yeah, hey, there was guys, no playing to the audience I, I mean even at the beginning yeah. there they were just trying to like look cool to the crowd and that's not really uh you guys should be cheering for us sort of thing exactly it was weird i, I mean the squash itself was pretty nice it got them over uh quite well i thought in terms Gallus of has uh, been rebuilt in terms nicely. of Gallus. And I like that they're calling out the champs. Yes. I like I like bad guy teams that aren't the champs calling out the bad guy champs. I mean, it, it's 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 a natural story because it's one of those things where it's like, well, not all bad guys should like each other, and hey, they're self interested too. So I mean, it's well, probably this gonna is be a- what we were talking about. Gallus needed to do. Their whole point is to assemble gold. Why are they mm-hmm. going to have a kingdom with no riches? I thought that Mark Coffey basically said the promo that we kind of alluded to fairly early on here and the issue with the Grizzled Young Veterans as your tag champions and then also Walter and Imperium as your world champions. What does Gallus do? And the answer is Gallus just fights everyone. And I mm-hmm. kind of like that about them. Yeah. No, I, and I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm fine with a team that is so hated that they'll fight anybody. 
and and I'm I'm fine with that. I, I like that as a as a thing as a, my this usual. This is a dynamic that I think NXT UK is starting to set up too. When we talk about Jordan Devlin a little later on here, you know, it's 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 Captain Cold and Heat Wave in the comics. You know, two villains who want to control, who want to both rob the bank at the same time, and the Flash then has to come. In. And we're probably going to get a babyface team thrown in here for good measure, so that the crowd has somebody to root for. Probably. I think it's gonna, probably going to be Flash Morgan Webster and Mark uh, uh, Mark Andrews, but who knows? Oh, I hope they don't do that, but you're probably right that they will. Um, we forgot to talk about Tyler Bate. He is getting a title shot against Walter. I'm looking forward to that match. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, that's going to be a really good it, match. The, the, the I don't think Bate's was... going to win the title, but I think that's going to be a really, really good match. Yeah, well, see, it's weird for me. This is what I kind of wanted to talk to you about. I think Tyler Bate almost has to win this title, doesn't he? Because you're bringing him in and you're not doing you're not bringing him in for that first grudge match, non-title match to fight Walter to avenge his friends and avenge what they did to him. You're putting the title on a line in a normal match, which is usually the end game of these types of things. And Tyler Bate to me is a guy who has been on the shelf for so long in terms of a singles push. He's been Put with Mustache Mountain. After after the Dunn feud, he kind of got cooled off a heck of a lot to the point where they, when they turned Dunn babyface, Pete Dunn basically took Tyler Bates' role in this NXT UK. And, and up and down this roster, man, all these people who I thought were going to be huge stars and were on the rise in the wrestling world prior to the NXT UK brand being formed... They feel smaller now for being on NXT UK. The Tyler well, I Bates, think Tyler Bate needs to move on from NXT UK because I, I yeah, I, I don't actually see a point for Mustache Mountain to be there right now against Imperium. I'm with you. You're right. Tyler Bate probably needs to beat Walter here, but I think maybe the story is going to be Imperium is going to screw over Tyler Bate. Yeah, the first time, and then on the rematch, I guess that's when they reintroduce Pete and uh, and you Trent. Have maybe uh, yeah, you have a trios match, to save and then and then you build to Tyler Bate finally getting the rematch. So this is going to be the first beat, and yeah, yeah, it, this is the first one where the guy loses. I'm just like I just mm-hmm. kind of I kind of disagree with that that way here because he's already lost to Walter once. We've seen that happen. I think he should be injured, right? Wasn't the whole point of having Trent handcuffed to like have Imperium deliver this massive beating to Tyler Bate to have him be so injured that he couldn't fight? Well, this is his return from injury. Yeah, I don't. Which is yeah. weird. It's like it he was wasn't like, gone it was that like long a month. Though, yeah, he wasn't yeah. gone. Well, that, that's, that's that's WWE, WWE style. For you. Yeah, you, know, you can't you can't knock a guy out for three months and have him cut an angry promo. Um, what what are you thinking of uh of his look right now? Because he's getting bigger it looks like to me i don't know if it's the beard that's making me think he's or the tattoos that make me think he's getting bigger but it looks like tyler Bate is putting on some size yeah he's stronger i would say not just okay. you know with the beard um yeah no he does look he's stronger. almost looking like a mini trent seven at this point yeah a little bit i mean you know uh i see that a little bit he does he, he does look bigger for sure um I mean, he still looks good. I, oh no, he, he looks. He looks. I, mean, I didn't. I wasn't saying he was fat. I was just saying he was. You know, he, he's. I mean, when when the when he first came in a couple years ago, he was a little bit. He was a lean machine. Yeah, yeah, he was a lean machine when he first came in. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's just something. Not that now. No, I'm well. For me internally, I'm just wondering: does that hurt his "quote unquote" big, strong boy appeal, or does it? Does it? Does it make it basically like? You know, when the Backstreet no, Boys are a little bit too be, old to be called that's boys be anymore. around forever. Like, it's okay. just a tagline. I, I don't think it hurts his quote-unquote boy. His youthful appeal. appeal. That's what I was looking I for. I don't think he thing. actually needs to be a youth in order to hang on to the big, strong boy okay. thing. It's just like one of those things that you carry, he'll carry throughout his career. Like, that, that they'll chant for him right up till he's 40 or whatever, unless, you know, does a major gimmick shift, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can move on. Yeah. Absolutely. So then we had Danny Luna versus Rhea Ripley. Quick squash. It does look like they have plans to use Danny Luna more on the brand here, but, you know, in, in kind of a lower level thing. But she's been on in matches of this sort a couple of times here. She was uh, one of the two people crushed in the handicap match against uh, Alpha Female a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh, Jazzy, yeah. Um, yeah, Jazzy. Yeah, this, this is your basic... Uh... We're going to reestablish Rhea Ripley as a badass, and good lord, she is a badass. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I mean, again, it, it's weird that I'm thinking now that she moved from NXT to NXT UK that she her star has diminished somewhat, but uh, she might be one to move over and put up against like a Bianca Belair. I mean, I would watch that match all day and twice on Sunday. Then we had another Eddie Dennis video package, and. This is kind of like a microcosm of how I felt about Eddie Dennis, only <laughs> condensed into about like I a minute thirty. I thought about 30. you when I saw this. I go, "What is Chris thinking right now about this Eddie Dennis video package?" He's almost got a Sami Zayn gimmick. Yeah, yeah, the he critic the of the critics. Yeah, but but it started off nice, just like this whole initial introduction to Eddie Dennis. There was this story that we had of. Him having to work in the real world and hang up the dream and pursue real world type things and coming back in his 30s and trying to make one last run at it and a little bit bitter. And then it ended up moving into an absurd character in gym shorts. And this video was not (laughs) unlike that, where it starts off where he's got this injury and he's meeting with a doctor and he's talking about how the muscle was separated and they have to put together what's left. And, And it's poignant and I'm starting to connect with him and then we move into just absurd hatred of the fans that doesn't feel believable in the slightest and then he ends it with it's the fans fault I think he was still on anesthesia when he cut this promo because he was calling them wrestling fans (laughs) not sports (laughs) entertainment fans and I was just like wow somebody let that one slide good for them (laughs) <laughs> He's probably hopped up on anesthesia a bit, but uh, yeah, I uh, it, it's Eddie Dennis to me comes off. It, it's when the when angry Eddie Dennis, like rageful Eddie Dennis, comes off as a little too hammy. Hammy, I, I would agree. It, just a bit. It, I don't believe his rage. No, it doesn't feel real. I I think he. Guy with broken dream kind of feels real, but this I hate the fans. I want more. I hate myself, and like the, the externalization thing is working hate, for me. I hate the fact that opportunity didn't come to me. 
you know, you're you're kind of you're, it's that self pity but self rage type of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Self loathing pushing in there too. Yes, but absolutely. also bl- also blaming fates that were not your fault for for doing it. You know, outside. You know, if only the gods had smiled on me, I'd be I'd be the British John Cena right now. But no, I got stuck in this job and had to pay my rent while somebody's rich parents helped pay for their wrestling school. So they got all the opportunities, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, something even like he hates the industry now, that the industry chewed up his body and that he's here just to make his point about how much he hates the industry. I I don't know. (laughs) Or better yet, I can't go back to education anymore. (laughs) <laughs> because I chased my dream, and now now I'm stuck with this loser industry that I got to be a yes. part of. See, that feels so much more compelling than it's the fans' fault that I <laughs> tore my pectoral muscle. <laughs> that's that's me. I can't go back to comedy anymore because I've been working this day job for twenty years. I'm too old to be marketable. Screw you guys. <laughs> All right, Jordan Devlin versus Alexandra Wolf. I really like this twist on Jordan Devlin's character. I like how much he hates Imperium. I like how he's still a dick. I like how he demanded this match. I enjoyed his entire character in this match. I really like Jordan Devlin. I've become a very big fan. Can you tell? Yes, he he's the he's the mouthy bad guy who gets punched in the face. By the other, and he gets back up, and he's got swagger. Yeah, yeah, but but at the same time, for Alexander Wolf, he's the weak link right now in Imperium, and we need to introduce him as a bad guy. So he's going to take the flaky bad guy out. And I, I love this match. I really enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> I don't think Devlin's staying a bad guy. I think the repositioning of Devlin against Imperium means that Devlin's not done going after Walter, which is going to eventually make him a de facto babyface if for no other reason than size differential alone. Oh, I think we're getting the uh, we're getting the uh, he he's not a babyface, but he's for the purposes of his own self-interest he will align himself with the tyler Bate and trent seven right right and right. pete dunn it's but like, that's you know right what? where this I don't character w- needs to be he needs to be a rogue kind of yes. chaotic neutral when yes when the when the world threat comes and the superheroes need a little help here comes a couple of bad guys to say you know what justice league will help you out on this even though we don't like you guys because we still want to rob this planet eventually that kind of thing yeah no and i i love I love his logo. I love the the ace with the uh, with the half skull, half face thing. That his new gear is awesome. I love it. But yeah, I really enjoyed this match. I thought mm-hmm. Alexander Wolf was really great in it. I thought Jordan Devlin was really great in it. That this was a real feast. He is a guy that used to be bland, and I now every time he comes on screen, I love him. He oh, has found the you, personality. You want my joke? You want my joke for this? Uh, Jordan Devlin is if Noam Dar was interesting. <laughs> well, well, I mean, he, but he was compared so much as you know Prince Devitt Junior all the time because he's different he trained than with Prince him. Devitt. There's he's got a whole different swagger oh, yeah. than Prince Devitt. Oh no, but he has found his swagger in this last year. I think that David Starr feud really, really helped him a lot. Those, those promos they cut for WXW, I think it was. So, yeah, no, I, he's now a guy every time. I used to groan, and now I'm like, yes, I want to see more of this guy. Yeah, same way, same way. 
Let's move to NXT US. Well, there's one oh. other thing I wanted to bring up on here. Okay. I wanted to bring up the uh, Tony Storm, Kaylee Ray, tete-a-tete. Oh, yes. Right. They're trying to retcon this story. It's like this video package should have came three weeks ago. I thought Kaylee Ray was awesome in this. I did. I think her story and everything and then coming in. Is, I thought they should have watched this and asked some questions about how they are presenting Tony Storm. Because after this thing... There was something because because uh, it was weird because Tony has this line where, you know, and then when she came here, something changed and she had this weird look afterwards. And it was basically and then then cuts to Kaylee Ray, who basically explains, you know, what a terrible person Tony Storm is. And I came out thinking, all right, Tony Storm did something bad and she's covering it up. I didn't think. No, Kaylee Ray is delusional and using her friendship to get this title match or whatever. I came out of there thinking Tony Storm is a secret heel that we don't know, but I think she was supposed to come off as sympathetic. I have not been in love with this Tony Storm babyface character. There's something weird. The shiny, the shiny, shiny thing is ridiculous. Right. Oh, so you finally turned the corner on that. I, I, it, there's something weird about it. I, I, it makes more sense, honestly, as a heel mannerism. I don't think that's the story you know we're getting, though. You know what it is? It's a performer issue, I think. I think it's one of those things where all that great rock and roll, rebellious charisma, you know, and, and I'll put it in the, the sex appeal of Tony well, Storm when she comes out and does thing. thing. Yeah, you know, the, the hard punk rock thing. That all, all that charm and all that leaves when she has to act. And it's, it, it's, and, and she has to recite lines. And it's one of those weird things where it's where it happens to actors who have all this charisma off stage, and the lights turn on, and they say a line, and you go, "What? Who is this dull individual? And why did we put that person on stage right now?" It's it it, it boggles my mind that Tony Storm is not far more interesting than I guess my impression of her has always been as champ. Maybe it's the fact that that being champion has made her boring. I guess I, the chase makes everyone a little more interesting. I, I think the kind of latent issues. It's hard to really imagine what Tony Storm well, does all day, right? She's cocky about the championship. That's also true. So there's something that's a little that's... bit unlikable about that. The fact that every yeah, time we she... see her, it's not like she's out with fans or doing anything sympathetic. She's just always talking to the press. She's bragging about herself. And bragging about herself. Yeah, she's bragging about herself in the press. I think that's, I think, you know what? I think we've hit it. I think we've hit what the problem is here. She's she's not a champ of the people. She's a champ who did she's it for She's the her champ own... of the papers, which is very much yeah. the Apollo Creed type figure versus the oh, yeah, Rocky Balboa type figure. Kaylee Ray, not exactly fitting into the Rocky role here, but it does create a bit of an issue with Tony, mm-hmm. for sure. Shall we pivot over to WWE NXT US? Uh, yes. Let's do it. So. You must, have, you must have liked it less than I did then. I, I mean, I actually just looked at what was next here. I know we usually do this second, <laughs> but I also wanted to mention that there's this tag team that I want of Cameron Grimes and Jordan Devlin that I don't think is going to happen, but those two guys as a tag team together is just too much swagger in in black tights. I'm into these guys. Mm -hmm. So 
Let's talk about the reunion of Brizongo after Tyler Breeze defeated Jackson Riker. I think that this is actually a good usage of both of these guys because Tyler Breeze needed a little something extra here. Brizongo, I think, will be very, very popular with this NXT home audience, and they were never going to really do anything on the main roster of import again. Also, they're a really good testament to time away. Like, absence actually makes the heart grow fonder because when they were doing the fashion files, that went from being very funny to obnoxious and kind of, I wanted it to go away. And when they came back, I was happy to see them again. So I'm sure a number of people had that same effect. I would kill for next week for Fandango to come out and go, no longer call me Fandango. I would like call that as well. He needs some Johnny Curtis. Johnny Curtis, yep. You know, Dirty Curdy, whatever you want to call him. And then have these guys be an actual, almost a throwback tag team. I'm not saying revival. Tyler and Johnny. I'm saying they some, have like a team name. Something like, the, something like the Rockers. Yeah. Something like the Rockers or something like that. But this was my dream when, when Nexus was brought up for Heath Slater and uh, Dustin Gabriel, or Justin Gabriel, who I thought could have been an awesome, high-flying, heel-type tag team doing a bunch of tag team moves that you know would bring work rate to the tag team division back. That's what I want out of... T- I want Tyler Breeze and Fandango, born-again hardcore as a great tag team, as opposed to two individuals who can do comedy and doing the, the ironic dancing, you know, instead of being entertainers, being, being that tag team that you could then put in the throwback babyface role, bring them back up to the main roster and put them up against the throwback heel team of the revival and just knock the, and knock the doors down every week as a team, because that's kind of what, it's kind of what the tag team division is missing on the main roster. If you're going to really use this time to do something with guys as opposed to, you know, they're here because we have nothing for them on the main roster. Well, then build them up for something to do on the main roster as opposed to just interacting with all these guys and being really good mechanics, so to speak. Then we had... Cameron Grimes, who I am fond of, defeating Bronson Reed to advance to the finals in the breakout tournament. Not a surprise here, but I thought this was a good match. Another strong showing for Cameron Grimes here. Trevor Lee's the best. I will continue to call him Trevor Lee because I'm still not used to the Cameron Grimes name. That's not me trying to be clever. It's just me having Trevor Lee on the brain and knowing what Trevor Lee can do. This is like Finn Balor and Prince Devitt. I still can't fully get around Finn Balor. He's still Prince Devitt to me. Yeah. Um, I am looking forward to when they get, because I love Trevor Lee's look is not something that a guy like Vince will glom onto. But once this kind of scuzzy look, folds in the cocky stuff that I've seen from him in like PWG where he, where again, he, you know, he'd bill himself as TNA superstar Trevor Lee and just, you know, hands on the hips, you know, chin up everything like that. And puts that part of the package together. I am all for it. I love his finishing move. I absolutely adore it. Cause it can come out of nowhere at any time and do it. The giant stomp. I thought Bronson Reed did okay for himself here, but this was really a nice way to showcase uh, Cameron Grimes. I want Cameron Grimes and Jordan Devlin as a tag team. 
And I love Cameron Grimes' intro music. Yo, man, it's, it's really it's good. Kinda, it is really good. It's it's genuine meets Southern rock, and I love it. it. It's great. And then we need to talk about this Shayna Baszler and Miriam promo. Whew. Right, get started, Jeff, I, I, then I'll pick up. So Mia Yim is doing the the ever popular trope of the of the famous in spaghetti westerns of all kinds, famous in Quentin Tarantino movies of all kinds, the aggrieved good guy who has been left for dead and is now going through a list of people to get revenge. Except on. for that initial beat never really happened. And then. So she slams Marina in a car door. She slams Jessamine into a locker. And then here comes Shayna, who's obviously a little nervous about the whole thing and being very bravado. And what does Mia Yim do? She comes out not in her gangster gear, comes out without the, without the bandana, without the hat on. And she comes out and she talks about how much she respects Shayna Baszler. Oh, Chris, <laughs> this was a bad note on so many levels because Mia Yim did not have conviction in what she was she's saying. Had she's had yet another affect change, though. The way she speaks yes. has gone through yet another cadential shift. She keeps changing it up. And it, it, it's. Explain that. Explain that for people who may not Okay, know. so, like. People do code switching, I think is, you know, kind of the, the other term for this. Sometimes Mia Yim is affecting more of an African-American urban style of speech. And other times, especially earlier on when she was the head baddie in charge, I would say she was kind of doing stuff with less of that affect in her voice. And yes. the character that she is working now is very much in the street tough thing. And that, that was actually in one of her promos a couple of months ago, too. So, like, that, that has been the mode shift here. And it's not that Mia Yim is not African-American. It's just that this is, it's a weird and sudden shift. Shayna Baszler, for her part, also is kind of, like, missing the beat on the, prestige thing and the fighting thing. I'm trying to remember some of the notes in her promo because those also fell flat for me as well. She was using a lot of metaphors when she didn't need to use a lot of metaphors about rats. Yes. And other the things. Street rat. She should yes, just be, the street rat language yeah. was, was uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was uncomfortable. It, it was wordy to a point when all Shayna has to do is kind of, be proud of being a champ and just be angry that you took her friends out, her cronies, and say, I'm just going to rip your arm off. But it also made Shayna slightly sympathetic until she said the street rat thing and then went too far yeah. in the other direction. And this whole angle, it could have been done right, but it's not being done right. Right. Yeah. No, this was, this was overthought. Is the only way I could. And point. they really tried I mean, to hinge even... on street trash. Like the end of the promo also features Baszler yelling street trash at Mia Yim. So it's not like if a throwaway Baszler line. Yelling... It's a talking point. Yeah. If yeah, if Baszler is yelling street trash to your face, why aren't you punching this woman? Unless there's yeah, it it was just so. Weird. And then you counterbalance that with what I thought was a good vignette. 
best actor in NXT, as always, is William Regal. And I loved just the little back and forth. Candace has been waiting outside for Io Shirai to arrive. And then we cut back to her and William Regal comes in and goes, she's not going to show up because I gave her the night off. You know, kind of that sheepish, look, I know you've been waiting for a fight, but it's not going to happen, so you should go home type of thing. He's such a great schoolmaster in that way. Oh, you were waiting for after school at 3 o'clock? They're not showing up because I told them to go home and to cool off a bit. But um, I, 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 I like the pivot, though, at the end, how he understood that Candice wanted to fight EO and he's just trying to keep order around here. He's not going to deny her but the But I'll fight. give you what you yeah, want. Yeah, I'll give you what you want. Well, it, yeah. it's, it's weird because it's both caring, but he also gets that look of, this would be great for business and we could sell this out. You know, that carny look in his eye. He always gets that little gleam in his eye, even when he's being nice to the baby faces and sending them probably to their doom. Where it's like, you know, I'll give you the fight you want. And we'll do it at TakeOver. <laughs> Ding! He hears cash the registers has in his to head. His or job. He has masters yeah, he I has know. to serve. Come on now, Jeff. <laughs> but, it's, but, 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 but you watch Regal do it, and he doesn't do it in that hammy way at all. It's very subtle. And you just watch it and go, God, he's so good at this. I really do enjoy these products. And then we had Pete Dunne versus Roderick Strong. This is a great main event. This is for a... On the road to take over main event, these guys had a really, really nice match. I wish that the tone of these two's fighting had more intensity to it from now on because of that very high-profile betrayal. Pete Dunne yeah, should hate pu- the hell out of Roderick Strong. He Roderick Strong should be like forever at number two of who Pete Dunne hates. Yeah, it's it's a show don't tell thing. I I, I don't want them telling me that on on commentary. I want just, you to see the rage in Pete Dunne's eyes. He always hates him. Yeah. Always, it's just like an undercurrent thing. Yeah. Even if they are in a strange alliance, there needs to always be like a bubbling hate for Pete Dunne. Yeah, twenty years from now, if Roderick Strong walks into a room, I want Pete Dunne to start seething. Who the hell invited him here? That, that you know that kind of rage. That that I don't forgive type of thing I, yeah no I, I agree with you and the part with velveteen you know it sets up the three. yeah it's fine velveteen it's like they do things with him that really work for me and they do things with him that are too hammy for me when he decides yeah when he decides to do the macho man you know arms in the air turning around type stuff when you know you got a guy who's gonna you know probably not yeah it doesn't ring true it rings as it's a pro wrestling thing, and I, 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 it's what turns me off to him. The sports entertainment aspects of Velveteen Dream turn me off a bit. So that brings us now to 205 Live with the main event of Drake Maverick and Mike Kanellis. But first, Akira Tozawa and Brian Kendrick defeated the Singh Brothers. I like the Bollywood boys. I think that they, they have good matches. Like, this isn't... It's weird. I had somebody fall into my uh, DMs and, and complain about them. I'm like, the the show needs geeks. Yeah. The show needs people to beat up. And the Bollywood boys have more credibility than most when it comes to guys on this level, especially if you're looking at the main roster. They could go. They um, do their job well. I, I, I don't know what's yeah. not to like about the Bollywood boys. I think that they're perfectly entertaining. Yes, they're they're delusional heels, and there's nothing. They think they're sex 
sex machines, and I have no problem yeah. with that. Yeah, and, you know, Akira Tozawa and the Brian Kendrick are not necessarily the most exciting tandem right now, and I think that's really probably more the issue here, but you're not supposed to like the Singh Brothers. That's the whole point. No, this is, uh, and this is the last of the uh, team who's been writing 205 Live for the past couple of months, so we'll see how the tonal shift uh goes from here i think the tonal shift with our friend lince dorado is really interesting he's starting to get a little I bit cocky this. and i am interested I li- in this. He, he's getting a little heelish is what he's yes. doing as opposed to hey we just like to have fun no, that guy's a jerk i don't burdo carrillo's not real lucha we're real luchas who does he think he is kind of thing i i i, I dig this and Lindsay's the guy in the group to do it because he's the guy that can cut the best promos of the absolutely three. no i i think that this is a really interesting development and will give them a new lease on life and fewer pinatas so i'm on board with this what did you think of the third uh umberto carrillo video oh boy jog my memory what happens in that video Basically, he just says, uh, uh, I'm the future, I want to be the champ, and I want to be Drew Gulak. I think that that's a natural conclusion point. But they had a great, I loved the end shot. Just his big old tomato head and the giant dimple screen center. Oh, I'm just like, there you go. Married in that video as well? Yes, I believe okay. so. Yes, yes. Now, yes, now that is coming back to me. No, I think that this package has been very good. Umberto Carrillo and Drew Gulak has some nice history, too. That's one thing that this roster has been. The small roster and the fact that people have had encounters before allows the writing team, when they want to, you know, kind of create a historical backdrop for any match, they can go back and grab from all these other encounters. And Drew Gulak attempting to mentor Umberto Carrillo is going to be very fun when they finally get to this fi- this match here. Uh, I need to backtrack a bit on the Lince Dorado thing, because uh, I don't know if we you were going to touch on the match with Arya Davari at all. Um... Interesting that they're cooling off Davari a bit, um, but at the same time, I like that they put over they put over Lince Dorado as not a guy trying to play to the crowd in terms of he did it a couple times, but not as often as the Lucha House Party does. It's a little bit of more of a week two of the more serious Lucha House Party we saw last week, and I kind of dug that continuity as well. I think Arya Davari continues to turn in really nice matches. His execution of moves oh, is great. like textbook, picture perfect. That rock bottom, Uranagi, looked amazing. He... he he is very, very good. He he is very, very good. He is very, very good, but but at the same time, he's in the WWE and he's an ethnicity. Yep. So it, it, it always will... Put some handcuffs on. You. I, I, I hate to say that, but it, it will. It will. It will. It will handcuff you as to how far you can go in the company. Yeah. No. I, I was just thinking about the Saudi Arabia show. So. Oh, yeah. Geez. Yeah. No. If, if anyone's aware of that problem, it's Arya Davari. Yeah. That's so. True. Gulak says in a promo this week, it doesn't matter who he faces at SummerSlam. All they have is pain and punishment coming. I like this pain and punishment trips me up. I thought it was going to be pain and suffering. I liked the fact that he put over the possibility that Mike Canales might have been his. Opponent. I did like that as well. That, that that that's some that's a good little touch there. That that you're yeah, that you're that you're keeping up with show continuity there. Good job by uh, the people in charge on that one. And then this Drake Maverick versus Mike Canales match, boy, Chris. Before you start, okay. knee pads over jeans. I like that. It's time for business. I like that. Time for risky business. I'm into that. Go ahead, but. There was an issue in connecting with the crowd 
And the Maverick sell spots or the Mike Kanellis heat spots, they just, they lacked something. I don't know what it was. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I'm, okay. I thought, I thought the connection with the crowd was fine. Eventually. Eventually. eventually but like, it took. Drake got into yes, there. His selling is but amazing. Drake is so good. But yes. I don't think the audience really is biting on him as a wrestler. Well, that's just it. I think that was the story they were trying to tell here is that you still don't know that. I mean, other than the dropkick last week, and if you miss that, who knows? You don't really know that Drake Maverick has a wrestling background because you've never really seen it on television. So I was thinking they were going for the surprise of, oh, look how good of a wrestler this guy is. I think for me, some of the heat segments were a little bit too extended to a point. But at the same time, my one gripe with the match was they never brought up on commentary what was on the flyers that Mike Kanellis showed. that made no sense and that fired up Drake Maverick. That was clearly pivotal. To get him fired up. And and it looked like to me they were our truth flyers. I was like... Okay, is he just showing him the fly in that game? I mean, I th- is a picture of his wife on there? What is doing? Why are they showing this to Drake? And why is he getting so bent out of shape over this and what's on the fly? That was the only part that really, really confused me. Other than that, I really liked the ma- my my favorite little moment was that first, the first Drake fire up where, or actually no, the second one where he's where Canales uh, is is hitting his head into the turnbuckle, but he's really missing the turnbuckle. And he's starting to get the crowd behind him. And then he turns to Canales and you hear Canales, but whoops, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I, I howled at that. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it I thought, just... I thought Canales was funny. Canales was really good in his role here. I, I could have done a little bit without the Maria on there, who is now the 24-7 champ. By yeah, the way. I'm not a fan of that either. Um, but, you know, that is what it is. I, I don't know. It just... Something didn't quite work for me with this, and I was totally wanting to be fully on board with this. I thought that this was going to be a match that I liked more. Okay, I I enjoyed it a lot more than you did, but I will admit it was not perfect. It was not the great match that that I could possibly say it was, but it was very, very good. It was very, very enjoyable. It was very, very 1986, so I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And if the payoff to Maria having the 24-7 title is that the baby comes out in six or seven months with the title around its waist, that'll be long comedy that I will appreciate. I'm just gonna say and and, and right with now. that, it's very clear we have different sensibilities. I, look, if they're going to do that, I mean, they, they put the 24-7 title over at the beginning of Raw as a big deal. When you thought it was going to be the major title that they were talking about, They're, they did this big video package about the history of wrestling and how important titles are. And a new title has emerged, a 24-7 title that can be defended. At, you know, that, that big blustery, you know they're full of crap and they're doing it to tweak people like me who take this stuff way too seriously type of thing. So this 24-7 title is going to be a thing as long as it's a hit with USA Brass you might as well do all the comedy you can out of it. I like that Drake Maverick does the acid drop. Uh, yeah, on the same show as the slice bread number two, which is kind of, uh, I, I would have kind of maybe agented that differently, but I'm not the guy there 
but uh, because Kendrick. Yes, yeah. Although it's a nice bookend. It's a nice bookend. I, I, guess. I mean, it's just I like that Maverick is so reminiscent of Little Spike Dudley that the the acid drop yeah. is a fitting move for him. I thought that was nice. I like the belt spot. Oh, the other there thing, were, there were things I liked in this match. I just I. I thought that Maverick needed to have more substantial fire-up spots or that Mike Kanellis' heat spots overstayed their welcomes like multiple times yeah. throughout the match in a way that it affected the pacing. I'll give you a reason for optimism, though, because uh, I think it was on TV. might have been on the dot-com. I've watched so much I can't remember where, what's what. But, but Sarah is backstage and asks Drake about the match. And and he says, basically, no, I don't want to go after the title. I just want to go back to my duties as commissioner. I am not an in-ring competitor. I'm like, good. It'll be a treat whenever Drake Maverick has to wrestle, as opposed to, you know, what they've done with so many authority figures and bringing them out week after week and doing match after match. I just want him as an authority figure for a while. Yeah, then. absolutely. And I, I do like the idea that this maybe helps him reassert his authority around 205 Live and sort of wraps up all of the Drake Mavericks not in control of things around here story as well. 